Amen. All right, welcome uh, Fellowship Asheville. How are y'all doing today? Good. Happy Mother's Day to our moms and grandmothers and mothers of, of, of just people. Um, you know, like there's a lot of people who just mother us well, right? Uh, and, and, and I'm thankful that y'all are here. And listen, I know today, Mother's Day, can be a fun day for some and a troubling day for others. Right? That's just the reality of today. And so, so, so what I, I, I hope that we can do today is create some space for you, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, to meet Jesus today. Whether today is great or whether today is sorrowful. And one of the ways that we're going to do that for Mother's Day is um, Jackie Perry is going to come up and pray for us. Um, and uh, Jackie is a friend of mine and a counselor. And I mean, your list is like this long of all the stuff that you do. One of those things is starting this really, really cool space called Soul Well which is for, um, right now, it is training people to be empathetic listeners. Um, because one of the things that I've seen um, of coming out of COVID is that as a world, we have all experienced trauma. And not everybody can go sit down with a counselor every week and process that. But sitting down with someone who's trained to listen well is helpful. And what she's doing is she is training this like tsunami of people to listen well. Do what? No, no, no. So far, so good. Like, like you're doing it. And then to eventually create a space where people can come in from any walk of life and be able to sit down with somebody that's trained and be heard uh, and, and be helped. And so, so with that and with her training, I thought she'd be the perfect person to pray for moms across the board for us. She is a mom. She's a grandmother now, which is very exciting. Um, uh, and so, so Jackie, if you would do that. And I will say after the service, um, there are uh, chocolates uh, on the tables on your way out. There are also prayers, uh, little liturgies for, for you to grab that, are, that capture uh, parts of a day uh, from changing dirty diapers to the morning cup of coffee to preparing a hurried meal. Uh, so just grab one of those cards if you'd like, grab multiple of them and take them with you. If you want the PDF of all of them, email me at Fred at Fellowship Asheville and I'll just send all four of them to you at some point. But Jackie, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. First, I'd like to say Happy Mother's Day. Um, today, like many holidays, as Fred said, is a day that arouses emotions um, that span the spectrum from deep joy and gratitude to deep sorrow, insecurity, doubt, and even anger. Celebrating mothers can be a reminder of longings that have been satisfied or unsatisfied, wounds that have been healed or perhaps are still festering. It can arouse feelings of embarrassment and even inferiority when mothering didn't look like you imagined it would. My guess is that whether you are male or female today, maybe a, today may be a day when the word mother activates a complex and layered well of sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts. So as we go to the Father today in prayer, I want to remind all of us of two names of God. First, he is El Roy, the God who sees. Secondly, he is Yahweh Hesed, the God of mercy, kindness, and enduring presence. If today is a glorious day, a day filled with pure joy and gratitude, know that our God not only sees your happy heart, he is glorified by it. 
the giver of every good and perfect gift, sees what you are sensing, imaging, feeling, and thinking today, and he is present with you as you celebrate the meaning of this day. If today you are working hard to suppress discomforting emotions in order to make it through the day, or perhaps even just this service, be assured that our God sees you, all of you as well. He knows and deeply understands the depth and breadth of what your soul is experiencing, and he is full of mercy, bearing it with you, weeping with you, and present in the spaces and places that you might not even know exist. So to our God who sees, our God who loves more deeply can we, than we can imagine, can we pray together? Dear Father, every single one of us in this room came into the world through a mother, and we thank you for the gift of life that you gave each one of us through our mothers. Every single one of us has a story about what motherhood means to us today in this moment. I thank you so much that you know every single detail of our stories, that you know the emotions, the images, and the desires that are tied to these. You see those who just recently became a mother who are feeling both weary and wonder at the enormous task of raising a child. You see the mothers who are experiencing anxiety and perhaps a little fear as they begin to release their children into a world that is so far from Eden. You see grandmothers who rejoice over new life and expanding family, but who also miss the days of having a full brood at home. You know who is missing their mom because it's been so long since they've been together, or who feels a deep void in their life today over the loss of their mom. You see those whose relationships with their moms were hard or messy or downright painful, and today is a tough day. You see those who long to be a mother, who are dealing with infertility, waiting to adopt, those who have miscarried, and those who have buried a child. You also know the ache of those who've released their children to be raised by another family, and those who still carry a complex layer of emotions after terminating a pregnancy, the many emotions associated with every kind of loss imaginable. You know all the stories, God, every single one that I forgot to mention or couldn't begin to imagine. I thank you that although we can hold many different emotions at the same time, you have the capacity to hold all of them. As Yahweh has said, I pray that each person here would experience your gentle, loving, and enduring presence today in the most intimate and meaningful way. And Father, by your Holy Spirit, would you flow through us so that we could offer that to one another? Would you help us to be a people who see, who are sensitive to the stories that exist around us, and who embody your love in a way that mirrors your heart for each and every one of us? In your amazing name we pray, amen. Thank you, Jackie. Um, wouldn't you love just to sit down with her for a while? <laughs> Thank you. Um, my name is Fred, and I get to follow that. Um, uh, um, I, 
but I am excited about today. My name is Fred. I do get to be the lead pastor here. And, 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 and here's what um, I've been praying for as we work through this new series, and particularly as we kick off this new series uh, with this sermon today, um, is that I've been praying as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes that we will enter the process of letting God's Word do in us what only God's Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can do in us, and that is change us and transform us. And what's going to happen today is that we're going to get an introduction to the book of Ecclesiastes. And what I want you to do is, if you're a note taker, take notes and, 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 and do what you do in here, but what I want you to do is I want you to sit back and, and let the words of Solomon kind of wash over you. And, and let those words begin this process of figuring out where in life my life has landed in foul territory instead of a home run. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Right? Have, you ever been, have you ever been watching baseball? Right? And y'all listen, I am not a sports person, but even I know this feeling and this sensation and this experience, right? You're watching baseball and it's gotten to the end and either you've left and so you're listening to it on the radio on the way home um, or you've actually stayed for the whole thing. It's the end of the game and like this could be the hit, right? Pitcher throws the ball, it is a swing and you hear that sound, right, of a bat hitting a ball just right, right? It's like this thwack, that you just know this is going to be good. And you see the baseball start to soar, and you think this could be a home run, right? This could be it. This could be the one that wins the game. Not only wins the game, this is the one that brings everybody home. This is the one that, like, seals the deal on the game. And you watch the ball go up, and then the, the crowd starts to stand up, and the cheering starts to, to kind of work its way around. And then as the ball starts to descend, it's looking good. But then as it lands, it lands just on the wrong side. And it lands in foul ter territory, and you hear the announcer all of a sudden echo those words that are awful, foul ball, right? See, I think not just in baseball, but in life, we all have these areas that look like home runs. And they look like they're going to be home runs. And, and we celebrate them like they're home runs, but eventually they show themselves to be nothing but a foul ball. This is what the book of Ecclesiastes is going to do. It's going to help us navigate those areas of our life, those, those things which are good, those things which are great, but they turn out to be the wrong thing, right? And, and here's why we need Ecclesiastes, because sometimes when you're watching baseball, that batter swings and that ball goes, somehow denies physics and goes behind him, Right? Or behind her. And you're like, okay, that's obviously a foul ball. But sometimes the difference between a home run and a foul ball is literally just feet or maybe even inches. This is why we need the book of Ecclesiastes. Not for the ones that are obvious, but for the ones that really do look like they're home runs. But in the end, they leave us disappointed. The ones that are harder to identify. As a matter of fact, this is what these two baseballs up here represent, right? One of them represents those foul balls in our life, and one of them represents those home runs. Here's the deal. Both these baseballs, um, thank you, Davis Elstock, for these. Both these baseballs have had a really good life, 
right? Like, like this one's filthy. This one has got parts of it missing. I'm not sure how that happened. Maybe a dog got a hold of it or something. Yeah, okay. So, 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 but you, looking at them, you can't tell which ball was the foul ball and which ball is the home run. This is what Ecclesiastes is going to do, and it's going to show us how to tell the difference between these two. All right? Now, Solomon is widely believed to have penned these words. And there's some objection. Was it Solomon? Was it not? Here's the point. Even if Solomon didn't write it, whoever did wants you to stand in Solomon's shoes. And we're going to see why, because, because Solomon, as we know, he, he, he was able to experience all the pleasures and joys life has to offer. He was able to experience all the foul balls, all the home runs, and so he is a great person to show us, that, to help us know the difference between the two. Right? He is the perfect test case for us. He's the one that's going to teach us the difference between a foul ball and a home run because he has experienced them all. And so with that, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to do verses 1 through 11 today. Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. If you see Psalms, Proverbs, you're really close. right? And it's easy to miss because there's just a few chapters in it. So, so go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes. And as you're turning there... Um, one of the commentaries that, that Matt and I are using as we prepare these messages is written by a guy named Zach Eswine, right? And, and, and he has this, this quote in there in, in his commentary that gives us a great picture of what to expect from the book of Ecclesiastes. He says this, Ecclesiastes seems like one of God's ways to say to us this, that the world in your life is much more broken than you realize and what God created for us is much more satisfying than we believe, right? And the, the title of the book is called Recovering Eden, right? And it's this idea of, of, of what is the gospel in Ecclesiastes, right? And we get to see in this book these two worlds living together, this, this broken world which looks like it'll satisfy us but doesn't live up to the promises it offers, and then this other world that is truly satisfying to us. One, this broken one, is, is full of, of, of foul balls that look like home runs, and the other one is full of home runs that are oftentimes disguised. And today we get to start to identify what areas in our life are landing in that foul territory. So let's dive into Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses, verse 1, it says this, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. Now here's what's interesting. Um, like I said, Solomon um, is the one who's believed to write this book. He, he refers himself to the preacher. And so it's kind of like here, this is the image that he's striking up, that he is the preacher, he is the teacher, and we are the ones who are learning from him. He's got something to teach us. And then he uses this word that we're going to see over and over and over again in this book, and the word is vanity. Now, what's interesting, this word, it's habel in, in, in Hebrew, and it's mentioned 73 times in the entire Old Testament. It's used 73 times. In this book of Ecclesiastes, it's used 38 times. More than half of the times in the entire Old Testament are found in this book. You know, a book comes in second place using this is the Psalms, and the entire book of Psalms only uses it nine times. Right? So this is like Solomon's word. 
And he wants us to know that life is full of these vanities. And, 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 and like a good Hebrew word, it doesn't just have a definition. It has a definition that conjures up an image. And so when he says vanities, when the preacher says vanities, what he's referring to is this idea that, that our life is full of things that are kind of like smoke, kind of like incense, kind of like, like fog. It's stuff that we can see, but we can't hold on to. You know, I was at the Biltmore Estate, and it was one of those kind of cold mornings. You know, one of those mornings where you have to dress for like winter and summer all on the same day. And, and, and there were some geese there um, uh, by the pond down there at the Biltmore, and they were honking at each other. And like I could see the, 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 the vapor coming out of their mouths. You know how like when it's cold, and, and I couldn't see it in mine, but I could see it in theirs. And one, I was like, I didn't even know geese could do that. Right? Did you? No, like they can. It was the wildest thing. And two, it reminded me of this because that's what Solomon says that vanity represents. Vanity is something you can see, but you can't hold on to. Right? And then he says, he says this about vanity. In the, in the rest of verse two, he says, vanity, va- vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, right? All is vanity. And he gives us this warning that vanity is something we can see but we can't hold on to. And that that vanity can be everywhere, right? If vanity is what we consider to be kind of the, the foul territory of our life, the foul balls of our life, here's what, what, what Solomon is saying is that foul territory can be anywhere. And here's what he means by that, like, like to keep going with home runs and foul balls. Like, like, like he's saying for every home run, there is a foul ball substitute, right? For everything in our life that God places there to glorify him, there is this substitute that glorifies ourself. And it looks really good in the moment. And it looks like it's going to answer those questions that we have been longing for God to answer. And it's going to answer them quickly. But in the end, it leaves us disappointed, right? Like the love and commitment found in marriage, home run. It finds its cheap substitute in an affair, foul ball. Right? The joy that comes from a productive day's work, home run, finds its cheap substitute right, in these get-rich schemes, in these, in, these, in these ideas of instant fame. If I just do this, then I will be famous. That's foul ball. The biblical mandate for mothers and fathers to raise their children and to release them as adults who are walking their own path that God has forged for them. To walk their own path with Jesus, which is the home run, right? That's, that's what we want as parents. We want our kids to, to be walking their own path, finds its cheap substitute in controlling our children to become the adults who we think they need to be and forging the paths for them to walk in. A foul ball. Right? You see, church, Solomon wants us to know the difference between these two, which is why he asked this question, which is the question of our series. In verse 3, he says, What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What does a man gain? 
from all this. If I look and, and I see this, this baseball field of our lives, and yeah, I see home runs, but I see foul territories everywhere. Why do we do this? And y'all, I'm going to tell you, it's easy to read Ecclesiastes and end in despair. And if that's the emotion that you have, you're reading it in a way that Solomon didn't want you to. It's like when we were preaching through Revelation, and I said, I said remember, if you, if you read through the book of Revelation and you end up in fear, you've missed the point of Revelation. Because remember, I kept using that Steve Harvey thing where he's clapping his hands like, like Revelation is the praise and the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what Revelation is. Ecclesiastes may sound despair, but what he's drawing us to is kind of like what, Jackie, what you said in your prayer. He's drawing us back to Eden. He's drawing us back to this world that God has created for us to experience him in the fullness of his presence and to glorify him in the work that we do and the families that we raise and the way we spend our days. Right? And so, so what, what Solomon is saying is why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep going on? Well, this is what Solomon's going to teach us. He's going to teach us how sneaky these foul balls can be and how how sneaky this foul territory is. And he's going to show us a much better way. And what he's going to do in these next few verses, and we're going to pop through them, is he's going to show us what are some common, what's some common foul territory that works its way into our life. Look at verse 4. It says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Right? Generations come and generations go. Time passes. People come and go. Groups come and go. But the earth remains forever. And so he's saying, yeah, there's this, there's this, there's this people that come and go and, and, and people live and people die. But the earth remains forever. So in all of this transition, there is this constant. And what is Solomon pointing to? I think he's pointing to this thing that he's going to expound on later in the book about family. Right, because any time in the uh, many times in the Old Testament, when you see generations, it's talking about family. Genesis five and six, it talks about the the, the generations of Adam and Noah, and what 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 uh, Genesis talks about is it talks about the families of Adam and the families of Noah. And so generations are families, and he's going to let us know, y'all, that family is one of these things that can be foul territory. That family is one of these things that is good and it is great and it is a gift from God. But it can become this ultimate thing in our life that surpasses God. And when it does, it's foul territory. You see, family is one of those things which can either be a home run or land in foul territory when we are so solely focused and obsessed with our family. It's a foul ball, but when we, when we realize we can lift our gaze beyond our family and trust the God who knows our family and see what he's doing in the world around our family, that begins to move us out of foul territory. You see, our family can land in foul territory. Look at verse 5. It says, The sun rises and the, suns go, and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. And so again, he's pointing to the cycle of consistency and inconsistency. Is the same thing. Like, like the sun will rise and the sun will set. Right? Not only is the world changing, uh, unchanging, you know, the earth remains forever, but our days are unchanging. Because here's the deal. Every time the sun sets, guess what it's going to do the next morning? It's going to rise again. 
Whether you see it or not, it will rise again. And I think what we're going to see in Ecclesiastes that this kind of whets our appetite for is how we spend those days between the sun rising and the sun setting. In, in, in the Old Testament, you often see days attributed to work, right? In the Ten Commandments, it says, six days you shall labor, and on the seventh day you shall rest. Solomon wants us to know that the way we spend our days can land us in foul, ter- in foul territory. And in particularly, our work is what fills our day mostly. The work of, of our home, the work of motherhood, the work of fatherhood, the work of our, our profession, the work of, of our school. And when the what of our work, foul ball, begins to uh, overpass the why of our work, the purpose of God in our work, which is the home run, our work can land in foul territory. Look at verse 6. It says, And the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around it goes, and on its circuit and on its uh, circuits the wind returns. Right? It's something as seemingly as uncontrollable as the wind even has patterns. Y'all, are you tired about hearing about the El Nino effect? Right? It seems like every every winter they're like, oh, this is the El Nino effect. And it's like, you think we would have figured this out by now, that the El Nino has an effect, and that effect is going to cause weather to come here, right? But the reason it keeps coming back is because wind, even though it seems uncontrollable, has patterns, doesn't it? In the New Testament, Jesus calmed the storm. He calmed the winds and the waves. And when he did, the disciples were amazed at his power. You see, Solomon is having us look to the power in our life, the winds that come and go, but that's always there, that no matter who you are, you have a certain amount of power in your life. And that power can come from position, the fact that you're a mother or a father to children or a grandmother to grandkids that has position, even the fact that you're an older sibling has a certain amount of authority to the younger siblings, even though nobody likes to act like that. Right? The youngest sibling, you have some amount of authority over the pet. Congratulations. <laughs> That's about all you got. Right? But, but you know, like, like we all have this power. And what, what Solomon is going to do is he's going to ask us the question, what are we doing with the power, the wind that God has given us? Right? Are we using it to manipulate others and draw them away from God? Or are we using it to motivate others to walk with God, right? Our power can land in foul territory. Verse 7 says this, all the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. And here he's talking about the water cycle. Remember that from elementary school, the water cycle, like, like, like water evaporates, somehow it magically turns to rain, and that rain comes down, fills the rivers, goes to the sea, and then the whole process starts over again. That's what Solomon is pointing to. He's like, wait, if, if, if it rains, and it rains in the rivers and goes to the sea, why doesn't the sea fill up? Because there's this pattern, Right? There's this constant pattern in things that look unconstant. And that's what Ecclesiastes is about. And and what's interesting is when you see the sea, oftentimes in scriptures, like it is the place of scary things. 
It is the place of unknown. Even if you look like outside of scripture and you look at ancient maps, do you know what they have in the seas? Sea monsters. That's right. You know why? Because they don't want people to explore the seas because that's where the scary things are. Right? And this is the world that Solomon lived in where deep waters and storms brought fear with it. Even in our world, the sea is the most unexplored area of the earth, right? And I think Solomon is giving us a nudge to to look at this, this, this part of us that God has given us, which is this desire to know the unknown. Right, Because even for some of you, when I said the sea is the most unexplored place on earth, you know, some of you are thinking, ooh, I want to watch something about that. I'm going to go on YouTube, see what I can find, see if I can find some glow-in-the-dark fish, like all those fun things, right? We're curious. And what Solomon is going to help us see is that this quest for knowledge, although given by God, This quest for knowledge can, can, as Paul says, puff us up into pride, or it can turn into wisdom for the benefit of others. But our quest for knowledge can land in foul territory. Let's look at verse 8. All these things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Right? All these are senses, the sights and the smells and what we see and, and what we hear, and these are good things. But these things draw us towards comfort, right? Because how many times, I don't know why we do this, y'all. How many times have you smelled something? You're, oh, and what do you naturally do to the person sitting next to you? Oh, smell this, right? And we do that. We do that, one, because there's comfort and camaraderie, right? Like, I'm not crazy, right? I don't have COVID, do I? Like, this really does stink, right? Like, like there's comfort and camaraderie. But there's also comfort in both of you agree, oh man, that's awful. And you put it down and you never smell it again. Like our senses are designed to direct us to things that are comfortable for us, to pleasure, to things that taste good, things that feel good. Right? And what Solomon is going to do in this book is he's going to show us, and listen y'all, he's going to show us that, that seeking pleasure and seeking comfort isn't the end of life isn't the purpose of life. And y'all, like, he knew pleasure, and he knew comfort. He had 900 wives and concubines. Right? Like, if anybody can teach us about seeking comfort and seeking pleasure, and how it not being the meaning of life, it's him. And here's what, what he's going to do is he's going to show us that, that there is comfort in life that is to be enjoyed, but that God has something bigger and better for us than comfort. But our comfort can land us in foul territory. Verse 9, it says this, And what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. There is a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has, already, it has been already in the ages before. And so what Solomon is talking about is like, listen, this struggle of, of finding your life in foul territory and celebrating it like it's a home run, this 
is a struggle that has existed. Living in these two worlds has existed since Genesis. And it will continue to exist in us, which is why we need to understand this. It will continue to exist in us until Jesus establishes his new heavens and his new earth. New earth. And until, until then, we will live in these two worlds. Which is why we need this book to help us know the difference, don't we? Because y'all, listen, as your pastor, when I grow old, and Lord willing, I'm here with you, if we haven't learned the difference between, as the Old Testament says, between what is common and what is holy, then I have failed you. But as a congregation, if we can learn from Solomon the difference between a foul ball and a home run, then we're taking a step in the right direction as a congregation. And we need this. You know why? Because I see babies here. I see grandmothers here. Right? I see mamas and daddies, and I see, I see young singles here. Because we're going to be the generation that, that is just one generation in this cycle, and there will be more, and there will be more, and there will be more, and we need to teach the generations after us, because this struggle keeps going. And so how do we live this, in this in-between world with foul territory everywhere where Solomon will show us? But first, there's one more foul ball. In verse 11... It says, there is no remembrance of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the latter things, yet to be among those who come after, of the latter things, yet to be among those who come after. And so what Solomon is doing here, and you see this played out later in the book, is he's talking about this idea of legacy. That what I do today, if I get famous today, you know what, three generations, it'll be Fred Baker who? Right? And I experienced this when, when I was in, in Jackson, Tennessee. It was really fun. I got to be a children's pastor there as we moved into a building and we created this themed curriculum. So every room had a different theme and we got to build this theme out like y'all. I'm talking like a pirate ship in a second grade room is what we built. And it was so much fun. We had archaeology digs in fourth grade. Now, you may be picturing something much grander than what actually it was, but it was a lot of fun. And then the Lord sent us here to start this church in 2008. And so I was here, and then we went back like two years later. And you know what? Those kids had no idea who I was. And I had been a part and, and helped lead the team that created these incredible environments for them. And they didn't know or didn't care who I was. One day, there will be humans walking this earth who don't know or care that you existed. And if you are living your life to make that not true, then your life is landing in foul territory. But, but, if you can leave a legacy of faithfulness to God to those who do remember you, that, my friends, that is a home run. And our desire to make a difference can land in foul territory. It's interesting. Fast forward from, from Ecclesiastes to, to the Gospels, Jesus was having this conversation with his disciples, right? And, and, and this is the moment where Peter became, like, went from star student to, to like the opposite of star student, whatever that is, right? Because Jesus asked his disciples this question, and, and he said, who do you say that I am? 
Right? Not who do they say that I am, but who do you say that I am? And this is where Peter was just our student. And he said, <clears throat> I got it. Got it. Shh, guys, 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 I got it. You are the Messiah. Right? Peter nailed it. You are the Messiah. And Jesus said, yes, and upon this truth I will build my church. And he does this whole thing. And it's like, oh, and so Peter's walking around like, yes, yes, I am Jesus' favorite. And then Jesus starts talking about dying. Right? He starts talking about making his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. But on the third day he'll rise again. But they had a hard time hearing that. Right? They just heard death. And so Peter does what a good star student will do when the teacher is wrong. Is he pulls the teacher over to the side and goes, <clears throat> sorry, just one question. I've read the book. Apparently I'm a little ahead of you in the book. That's fine. Um, but that's not the way this plays out, Messiah. The way this plays out is, is you conquer Rome and you bring Israel back to the power that it was before, this great nation of peace and a blessing to the world. Jesus, that's what you're here for. You see, Peter was living in this foul territory where power and conquering were the way to accomplish the, the will of God. Right? And what Jesus did, besides telling him to get behind me, Satan, what he did is he turned to his disciples and he said this. He said, if anyone would come after me, in other words, if you want to follow Jesus, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone would follow Jesus, we get to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. You see, Solomon is going to teach us the same thing. He's going to teach us that there is a way to live life in foul territory where you are living a life to glorify yourself and there is a way to live in this home run where you are glorifying God. And the difference is either we deny ourselves in home run territory or we glorify ourselves in foul ball territory. And he's going to show us the difference. Right? And so... Listen, if, 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 if you, as we've been going through this, if, if this sounds like, what in the world am I talking about? I didn't know Jesus cared about how I lived here on earth. I thought he just cared about me going to heaven. Well, I've got great news for you. Not only does he care about how you live on this earth, he empowers you to live on this earth through his Holy Spirit. And the way to, to have that Holy Spirit is by saying yes to his invitation, yes to his offer of having your sins forgiven and the penalty and the power of those sins broken. And that's what I mean by saying yes to Jesus. It's to answer like the star student did Peter. When, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Because he's going to ask you that. Who do you say that I am? That you answer just like Peter, only without the pride. You say, you are the Savior. You are the Messiah. Right? That's following him. That's coming after him. And to deny yourself means, means the plans that I have for my life, I give to you, Jesus. They're your plans. And you can do with them what you will. That's denying yourself. Taking up your cross. Y'all, listen, we got to do that every day. Right? Amen? Amen? Because I don't know what I like to pick up in the morning, but it is not my cross. Actually, typically it's my phone to see how y'all are doing. 
right? <laughs> but, but, to follow Jesus, we pick up our cross and we follow him, which means we need this reminder to deny ourselves and to follow him. That saying yes to Jesus. And if you haven't said yes to his offer of salvation, then let today be the day you do that and declare that Jesus is your savior. And if you have done that, come up and find me. I'd love to talk to you because we are doing a baptism in a few weeks and I'd love to, to baptize you and, and, and celebrate that with, with this congregation. Right? And then for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, what I want us to do through this series is to figure out where our life is landing in foul territory. Is it family? Is it work? Is it comfort? Is it power? Is it this desire to make a difference? Is, this, is it this quest for knowledge? What is it? And I got to tell you what I'm looking forward to is I'm looking forward to knowing what it is for me. I mean, I got a pretty good idea, but I haven't worked my way through Ecclesiastes yet. I mean, I've read it and but there's something that happens when we prepare sermons, right? Like it goes deep. And there's something that happens when you come here and you hear God's word taught. I'm excited to be working through this together with y'all. For us to be working through this together. So let me ask you. The question is this. Like, like which will you choose? Will you choose a life for yourself or will you choose a life denying yourself and glorifying God? Because that's our question. And will you go on this journey with us? Let's pray. Jesus, you are good and we need you. We need you to show us the way. Show us where our life is landing in foul territory. And oh, we are so blind and we think we are knocking it out of the park with a home run. Would you show us your better way? Show us Jesus. In Christ's name I pray, amen.